Hello, my name is Emma Webb and I'm the director of the Forum on Integration, Democracy and Extremism at the Westminster-based think tank Civitas and you're watching our debut video podcast. Over the coming weeks or perhaps even months, we will be producing a series of videos and events for our followers. Today we will be discussing the effect of the coronavirus lockdown on our civil liberties. Recent news indicates that there's no concrete lockdown exit strategy and it's unclear under which conditions the lockdown will be lifted. If we are in this for the long haul, Debates surrounding the effect of this on our civil liberties will become increasingly important, particularly given that the latest YouGov poll suggested that 92% of the British public thinks that current levels of restriction are right or possibly not even severe enough. Joining me to discuss these issues are three fantastic guests. We have with us the Russian-British comedian and co-host of Trigonometry, Konstantin Kissin, Peter Whittle, the director of the New Culture Forum and the group leader of the Brexit Alliance, in the London Assembly and host of So What You're Saying Is. And finally, we have David Jones, visiting professor at King's College London's War Studies Department, and most recently author of History's Fools, The Pursuit of Idealism and the Revenge of Politics. We asked our guests whether they could give us any examples of wacky cases of police overreach. Hey, thank you very much, Emma. Uh, just say one thing, by the way, in your very nice introduction there, you mentioned about 92% of people would go on with it, the restrictions, even if they didn't agree, they were pointless. That, that, that is actually quite an important distinction because in fact, I think that covers a lot of people. I mean, you know, it covers people that I know, for example, who, you know, we all tend to be good citizens, you know, we're gonna go away along with stuff, even if we don't sort of necessarily uh, possibly think that they're, they're right or the reasons for them are right. Um, but I'll answer your question, yeah. In fact, just before we came on air, uh, a friend of mine, it's not wacky as such, it is it, it, unfortunately probably all too common and typical now, but a friend of mine uh, told me um, he was in a um, park in the East End today and he was on his computer um, sitting at a bench, no one around, policeman came up, you know, six feet or whatever way and uh, basically told him to move on. You're not allowed to sit, you have to keep moving, you can't sit. And so I think my friend was a bit nonplussed about this, but uh, the guy then said, the, the policeman then said, I can hassle you and I will hassle you if I have to. And, you know, what is the answer to that? What is the answer mm -hmm. to that? I, I think it's very, very worrying uh, indeed. And um, it seems to be entirely without logic or, and it's entirely arbitrary. Constantine, what, what do you think? Well, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because I think both Peter, you, David and I haven't met before, but the two of you know that, I, you know, if there's a civil liberty being taken away, I'm the first to speak on it. Actually, on this particular occasion, in terms of the lockdown, I am much less concerned than I have been for some time about our civil liberties being eroded, because I think... Um, once one of the things that I was very impressed with was the reluctance with which some of these measures were taken. It was very clear from the government, particularly Boris Johnson, how reluctant he was initially. And, you know, two weeks is a long time in, in the pandemic, it seems. But two, two weeks ago, if you remember, the reluctance on the part of many people in the government to start to take away some of the things that we would normally expect to be able to do was quite strong. And it was very clear. And now, of course, he's being criticized for not acting soon enough, which is essentially a way of saying he didn't take away our freedoms quickly enough for some people. So I think in terms of the government, the government has actually, in my opinion, been absolutely right on this. 
Uh, what we have seen, and one of the stories that most people will have seen by now, is that atrocious press conference with the police chief constable somewhere talking about mm. how we're not doing it yet, but if people don't comply, we will start checking the contents of your trolleys and stuff like that. And that is, of course, ridiculous. And I was glad to see the government start to push back on that and Priti Patel saying that that shouldn't be happening and that that won't be happening. I think that's important because I think what Peter's talking about is uh, the, this, there's a, if you take rules literally and you enforce them without any sense of common sense of any sorts of proportionality or any sense of context as well. I mean, you, you saw on Twitter, I got into a lot of trouble for asking why it is that sunbathing is not allowed. Right. And there was a range of responses to this. And uh, and what I took away from that, actually, is one of the reasons that I was a bit nonplussed about why those restrictions are in place was that I live in a small town where even if the entire population of the town was to fill the local parks, there would still be plenty of space between people. But if you live in central London, of course, and everyone piles into you know Hyde Park or whatever, it will be crammed. So one of the things I think you need in terms of policing is a little bit of sensitivity to the, the environment and the context. Mm -hmm. There are areas where uh, you know people shouldn't be sitting on a bench perhaps or shouldn't be sunbathing. There's other places where that should be uh, not a problem at all. So I think uh, we need to go back as always with rules is to think about, and Peter's shaking his head at this point, uh, his disappointment in me <laughs> is going to be uh, perpetual. But uh, I do think it's about context. So you know, the point of the rules is to, to keep people safe, right? So if people are doing things that aren't in strict compliance with the letter of the rules, but the general spirit of the rules are respected, I think that should be fine. Equally, if people are doing things that are putting other people at risk while complying with the rules, let's say jogging, but doing it very close to other people, I think that's a problem. So I think it's an area where we have to be really, uh, we, have, we need a common sense approach. There does seem to be this sense that, um, that the government aimed for the legislation to be proportionate, mm. but that, that the lack of clarity, wherever there's a lack of clarity, there's a tendency for certain police forces to just completely drop common sense. And so one of the, um, I, one of the silliest stories that I have seen, and I, I don't know, because it was sort of going around on social media, I don't know exactly what the context of it was, but there was a video um, on Twitter of a police officer telling a family that they weren't allowed to play in their own front garden. Mm. Obviously, they were a family with children. And so I think that, I, I think you're completely right, Constantine, that it's a contextual, and you, you, you need to expect that the police forces are going to have some common sense, but in some particular instances, they seem to be lacking it. Uh, what do you think, David? Well, I, I tend to agree um, with Peter. Uh, I think the, um, the extension of powers is, is worrying. It's, it's, of course, you know, um, good that we've got uh, a fairly libertarian prime minister at the moment. Um, well, I'd, um, you know, be very worried if there was a Corbyn government uh, with these kinds of powers. Um, I think the, you know, the, the fact that the, uh, Jonathan Sumption made the point that we used to see the police force as citizens in uniform and the behaviour of some of the chief constables like um, Nick Adderley with his um, threats of roadblocks and um, searching through people's supermarket trolleys 
for the odd packet of non-essential Mr. Kipling's cakes. Um, is, is it a kind of blimp class that um, is very fond of telling people what to do? And uh, it's not so much the government, but it's the, um, the police force, which operates as the sort of the paramilitary wing of the Guardian. <laughs> and the, um, the, the worry together with the the you know the civil service that we've already seen is um quite uh, incompetent in preparing us for this pan pandemic if you know looking at the uh, preparation of national health england which seems to have got off the by its uttering confidence when it comes to uh, bed shortages and preparation for ppe um do you so think that this do you think that this is going to end up sort of uh, like income tax, where it's well, something that's supposed to be a temporary measure for the well, Napoleonic I, I, I think the My my big um, fear is is that we've become um, a dangerously iatrogenic society. That um, you know the idea that we have to be under permanent observation for the state of our health, and these weekly um, going out on the streets to celebrate our NHS heroes. Um, I find, um, well, a sort of, a, we're being sort of uh, marched into a, a medical despotism uh, at a rate of knots that needs some sort of um, pushback, I think. Constantine, do you, what do you think that that's, uh an overreaction or do you, how does well, that well, well I would agree with David is I think I think all of us actually all four of us have made the distinction between the government and the police uh, and I think the the police have not covered themselves in glory and their overreach has been silly at times and the example you gave of the parents being told that their children aren't allowed to play in their own front garden you know stuff like that is just moronic uh, and i think the police um are second probably only to journalists in terms of how badly they've they've done out of this episode i mean there was a graph earlier that i saw a couple of days ago from a study which showed that people's trust in government in the nhs and all kinds of institutions had risen massively but the two institutions were really suffering was journalism and and the police force and i think it's unfortunate that is happening because actually you know who comes from russia where you know people's relationships with the police are not what they are in this country um, it, it's quite interesting just uh, the, some of the things we take for granted here in Britain about the police. Like I remember, uh, I think I was in Czech Republic or somewhere in Eastern Europe. I walked up to a police officer to ask for directions. And all the people around them looked at me like I was some kind of idiot because, of course, any West, particularly Western Europe, if you approach a police officer and ask for advice, what will probably happen is you will be you'll be for a bribe of some kind or you'll be so that that nature of the relationship with the police in most other countries right so we do have actually a very healthy relationship with the police generally speaking i can just come in there uh i think it's very interesting actually uh that the there was a piece by uh, fraser nelson in the spectator last week uh, which i think is very important where he basically said uh, and 
you know, I'd imagine he's, you know, he's pretty much got it on, on good authority, being spectacular, that uh, they just were not, they were so surprised at the level of compliance mm. amongst, uh, amongst the British. Um, I mean, the point is, is that I mean, without wish to be too romantic, there's this kind of idea of, you know, the British being a little bit bullish about this kind of thing, you know, that, you know, a bit truculent, uh, you know, stand up for their, for their rights and everything. I know Peter Hitchens, whom I uh, spoke to today, interviewed today, was making, uh, talking about this at great length. Uh, but that, that, that somehow this time, um, it's been entirely, you know, entirely about obedience. People have been completely obedient. I mean, you know, um, and there's not been this sense of, I think maybe it will change. I, I, I feel it's changing anyway. Um, and I think certainly that it, when we go on into the hot weather, I think things will change even more. Mm -hmm. But um, essentially, at the, at the moment, there is this sort of sense in which people have been extraordinarily obedient and the government were not expecting this. They were not expecting it. In fact, they thought more people would still go to work, all of this. You know, this is according to the phrase in a Nelson article. Mm -hmm. I think that's very isn't it? It's very telling. It's interesting also going back to what uh, David was saying about Orwell's essay um, on the line in the unicorn where he talks about the sort of inherent gentleness of British character or English character. Uh, Nick Cohen actually uh, in an article a few weeks ago said that one of the things that has come out of this is that we're quite clearly still a self-policing nation and I'm interested to know whether you think that this is um, a turning point. Some people seem to think, I think Peter Hitchens would be an, a, an example of a person who takes this very seriously, or whether if you compare us to, for example, um, Spain or France or Italy, that actually in comparison to those countries, our lockdown um, and our approach to this is actually far less draconian, whether actually there are still signs that that, that English character and our um, our approach to law and order and policing, whether that's still something that is is deeply rooted and still showing, or whether we're seeing something that is actually diverging from that. What do you think, David? Well, I'm 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 more um, skeptical. I, I would have thought the, uh, the the other piece that Jonathan Sumption wrote about um, the problem of you know tyranny from below that. Uh, uh, a, a, a tendency to, you know, follow the rules, um, which on so, on some levels is, you know, very impressive. The 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 downside of that is that you know through mass hysteria, we we, we opt for uh, uniformity and conformity um, in a way that sort of undermines uh, a sense of individualism and skepticism. Um, and, and this sort of um, uh, climate of obedience is, um, I think, antithetical to the, the spirit of individualism. And, you know, I don't know, you know, about Spain and Spanish and Italian people being more obedient than we are. I mean, the model surely we should be looking at is the Swedish one, which opted for non-lockdown and doesn't seem to have suffered over dramatically from people following uh, advice rather than uh, emergence power legislation. 
wasn't that, David, I was going to say, wasn't that, David, what uh, basically the government were following that line, weren't they here? Absolutely. And then they panicked. They panicked when faced with the Absolutely. Imperial College mm. research. Exactly. And, and also some evidence that there was a level of non-compliance at that stage as well. I think it's fair to say that we were still seeing, you know, super packed trains on, on the tube, although, you know, you could blame Sadiq Khan for that and say that shutting down the services was a big factor in that. But there was certainly, and look, I, I'm among the people who two or three weeks ago was not taking this seriously at all. But mm -hmm. the, the facts are what they are. And I think it's when the facts change, you change your mind. So, but um, actually... It's interesting because one of the things that Peter well, Hitchens, who, who's been the facts changed. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, the facts have that. changed in that I think uh, two or three weeks ago, very few people were aware of just the impact that this was going to have. I'm certainly in that camp. There were lots of people who were completely unaware of how serious an issue this was. I think now the general public are far more informed about the fact that if this were not to be contained, it would turn into a massive problem. Not necessarily because the disease itself is has a very high mortality rate, but simply because the health services will be overwhelmed and then there would be lots of people dying, not only from COVID, but actually just from a lack of ICU beds and so on. So I think in that way, maybe when I said the facts have changed, what I really meant was our awareness of the facts has changed as a, as a body politic and as a public. Um, so, But it's interesting, I just wanted to make this point about Peter Hitchens, because one of the things he talked about when he was last on trigonometry was uh, policing and how policing has changed and the fact that you no longer see policemen on the streets. And that was actually, and women, of course, that was actually one of the things that I uh, I see as a silver lining out of all of this, you know, when they said, oh, policemen are going to be enforcing no, uh, no sunbathing. I mean, wh what police officers? I haven't seen a police officer on the streets for years. And, now, <laughs> and today my wife and I went for a walk and I actually saw a couple of bobbies on the beach. Something that, you know, from I came to this country in 1995, I remember that being a thing. Uh, and I don't think we've seen much of that in the last 10, 15 years. And, you know, if we can't stop knife crime on the streets of London, how are you going to stop people sunbathing? Well, apparently now we have police officers actually walking around, which is nice, I think. What, what are your views on um, the... So obviously there are people like Toby Young and others who have been asking what is essentially an ethical question about what what would be a proportionate reaction to this. And David has mentioned the Swedish approach. What are your views on how, how we should be going about dealing with this as opposed to what is, is currently happening and what do you think would be a proportionate response? Peter? Well, I mean, I think, uh, I think the problem with this really, Emma, I, I say is that if you have any qualms, if you've had any qualms about the response, I think up until now, I think it's changing, actually. I think it's been changing in the past couple of days, in fact. But this seems to be a disproportionate response. Um, you know, it automatically, uh, the emotional argument is used, like in some way, for example, you, you know, that you don't care about people being ill or dying, uh, you know, which is appalling and wicked to, to say that. Uh, it's just simply not, not true. I, I tend to think that I would be very, um, I just simply do not know whether in fact, the, the, the various uh, restrictions that have been put in place, um, actually, you know, whether they actually are helping. I mean, we, it, it, you might say, well, of course they are. But actually, more of that yet. I mean, this is the point. In terms of what, apps, 
what actually is going to maybe come after, you know, you could say, well, actually, this seemed to be enormously disproportionate. I mean, we're, we're mm. talking about a situation, um, you know, I think it's been mentioned already. What is it now? 35% of the economy mm. is going to exactly. contract? Yeah. 35? Do we, do people, you know, I, I'm terrible with economics. I, I will be honest, I'm really not good. But, but the fact is, is that that is past material. I mean, that, that is not just depression or something. That is even worse than that. And I don't know whether people quite appreciate that. I think it's, it's, it's sort of coming now. It's coming through now, you know. Level side, it brings with it all sorts of illness brought about by extraordinary stress and all of these things. And poverty, mm. not least. Um, and so I think that, that, you know, this is crucial, but for a long time, you know, it was, but you were either on the side of kind of, you know, how can you possibly even think, you know, um, and it, it's more nuanced than that. It, it's just not, a, it's not good against evil. It, it, it's not, you know, I, I, I take great exception to the idea that somehow or other, you know, I do not care or I would not care about people being ill or dying. It, it's absurd. Of um, I can ask Peter a question, actually. Peter, I was just curious, uh, as the only politician here. I mean, uh, and by the way, I agree, I, I agree with you completely about the binary approach. I found the same. The moment you question any aspect of the lockdown, you're automatically responsible for all deaths from COVID-19 from this moment <laughs> until the end of all humanity uh, in the universe. So that's totally there, and I recognize that. But do you not think politically, I mean, I don't understand how, what, would have happened if if the government hadn't taken that action exception because right now bar everyone that i see on my left-wing facebook saying boris johnson is deliberate uh, by not doing certain things fast enough or whatever so if the government had decided to go down the swedish route when the rest of the world was locking down as fast as possible be in a position where everyone will be saying they've got blood on their hands and they've killed half the public by being irresponsible and I mean, blah blah blah. They, 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 if you're talking about how they would be perceived, then yeah, I will be too, I suppose, uh, constant. But I mean, the people who would say that are, are the people who are saying that, and <laughs> no, they are the people on Twitter. You know, we all know they are. They're, they're, you know. You know that they they they've got this kind of visceral hatred of Boris Johnson, of the Tories, whatever, um, and this is their way in, as, as it were, this time. Um, but I, I think um, I think that the point is is that when you look at different parts of the world, and um, you know, again, I, I keep using Peter, Peter Hitchens here. I've just had a conversation with him, uh, <laughs> but you know, apparently in Japan, for example, it's quite it's it's it's, it's different in the sense that although they've got a state of emergency, there are far far fewer deaths. Um, and it's it's a little bit, even though it's a state of emergency, formally speaking, it is, um, you know, at the same time, quite relatively loose. Um, and I think, I think that this is this is the point, really. You say, well, you know, if they if they don't do something, I mean, well, I suppose you could say they've got to do something, but I mean, they were sort of doing something. Um, but that is surely not justification. I mean, say what you just do something or other. What exactly does that mean? I mean, you know, I think it's just not quite good enough. I think the problem is, is that maybe the government was starting out on a particular route and just sort of panicked. 
I think, mm. from what I can see. I think, I think to some to some degree, because there's when when we're talking about proportionality, we're thinking about. I suppose to some extent we need to know exactly what the facts are. The numbers that seems to be very cloudy and grey, partly because China has clearly been lying about the facts, uh -huh. and also because no country really knows what the best approach is to take because the situation is so unprecedented. So one of the um, it is interesting that Freddie Sayers, um, he wrote, uh, he's written a few pieces for Unheard now about um, comparing the English approach to the, to the Swedish approach and that they have this definite sense that they're doing the right thing because they're not doing what everyone else is doing whereas we have this almost inherent insecurity where we're thinking well we can't possibly be doing the right thing unless we follow the herd and you know we don't want to be like Sweden because we don't want to be the exceptional ones mm. um, and so I think that it is it's it's difficult to know what is proportionate but I well I don't know struggle, I mean I, str I struggle to see how the government both politically and ethically could have taken another path mm. i think that the amount of pressure that they were under at the time suggested as well as some of the polls suggested that the public and the press and everyone was pressuring them to go into lockdown and then as soon as they were in lockdown everyone's trying to pressure them to get out of it. <laughs> mm. Mm. david what do you think well i mean obviously you know governments you know have to make hard choices um and the hard choice they made was to privilege health over the economy and the health of, um, you know, a, a, a segment of the population that's basically over 70. Um, so, I mean, that, that argument that Toby Young made, you know, about the um, quality of life um, calculation, um, you know, which is uh, an official number that you know accountants use and governments um means that you know in order to um save uh you know an aging population um a group um we've wrecked the economy you know um in a way that uh it's very hard to see how it comes back to pre-covid levels very quickly so if we're talking about you know something like a 35 percent loss of gdp in a couple of months and the attendant consequences of that in terms of unemployment you know the fact that um they're now calculating poten potentially 10 percent unemployment within the next few months and in america 17 million people thrown out of work in the space of three weeks um it's very much short termism in, in, in you know and and uh, being driven by the media and what seems to be like a, a, a you know a mass panic a hysteria um you would have hoped governments would not be you know cheerleading for his uh, try and be a little prudent and um have some kind of um, uh, understanding of how uh, the consequences of this lockdown and the consequences of the, you know, the, the mass subsidization of, of the economy um, is, is not going to be an easy thing to work our way out of. 
I mean, the idea that there's going to be a V-shaped recovery seems hardly likely now. Um, and so we're not going to look at, um, uh, I, I don't think future historians will be too impressed by what the government did, really. Especially if the, the, the mortality rates are, say, 20,000 over the period. Um, that, that's, uh, that's hardly the bubonic plague. And it's certainly not malaria deaths. It's not even um, Asian flu type deaths. So I think that calculation has to be, should be in the forefront of, of what the government here and in Europe more generally has been doing. What, what do you think is, if, if you think that it's a sort of hysterical overreaction, uh, just a, a question to all of you, why do you think that that might be? It's same with the police overreach. Why do you think it might be the case that we have reacted in this way as, as opposed to reacting as the Swedish have, for example? Well, the psychology of this is very interesting, isn't it? I think one of the things that yeah, this has absolutely. shown is none of us, uh, because none of us, I assume here, are medical experts, really what we're talking about is solving a problem that is completely outside of our field of expertise and outside of the field of expertise of 99.99% of the general public. And when that happens, I think people retreat to their instincts. So the people who are generally speaking, you know, concerned about restrictions of civil liberties, they start to look for evidence of civil liberties being restricted. And the people who are likely to comply with government restrictions are very happy to comply. And the people who, who have some other kind of bias dive into that bias. And we all kind of go to, uh, we uh, refer to type. We go back to the thing that we normally do. And I think that's one of the reasons that uh, I mean, look, the government is incredibly popular, actually, in the public generally and has a lot of popular support at the moment. And I think one of the reasons for that is, is of course, in a time of crisis, people want to stick behind a leader and feel like they're being led in the right direction. So I think a lot of people, as Peter was saying earlier, will be supporting the government and the lockdown and the measures simply because they want to feel like you know, we're on the right side, everything's being taken care of, the government is strong, the government is doing the right thing, and we're supporting it. And like I said earlier, even though I, I'm supportive of the lockdown, the moment you start to even question or ask questions, literally, please explain to me why this is necessary or why that is necessary, the, a lot of people seem to react like white blood cells. Uh, in response to some kind of infiltration, like, oh my God, why are you, you know, undermining these measures that are saving lives simply for having a conversation? So I think it's amplified people's biases, it's amplified people's instinctive responses. And, and because we're operating in a field where, as I say, none of us really know what the hell we're talking about, we're all just projecting our psychological profiles onto the world. And with that, I think that's what we're seeing play out. I think I, I, I would, I'd agree with uh, that, Constantine, I, I would. I think that there are sort of a number of things there, really. I mean, I think, first of all, yes, um, this sort of thing whereby if people question what's going on, even just question, I mean, not oppose, but even just question, um, it does remind me, and I don't mean to be uh, trivial about this, because it, but it slightly reminds me of the days after Princess Diana was killed, actually. I mean, hmm. there, there was a sort of, uh, there was this kind of, thing in the air which um, sort of swept everything before it. Um, and if you sort of in any way said, well, wait a minute, what, what's going on, going on here? 
you were cast immediately as some kind of unfeeling, you know, person who, you know, just didn't, didn't get it, uh, possibly elitist, whatever it might have been. Um, but that really sort of went on for quite a long time. It was a kind of a very highly emotional. I noticed that David Goodhart has mentioned this today, that there was a sort of, there is a kind of emotionalism now about the way even the, the news mm. is actually delivered, the, the actual news, you know, is delivered. Um, and, and I think that your point that you said there, Constantine, I think, I really think it's a very good point. When you said people retreat, um, I'd, I'd say it slightly in a different way. I think that it's almost a biological instinct. People just do not know why, what this is. They don't know. So there's a kind of strange biological thing whereby they sort of fear. They're, they're, it's fear. What, what, the fact that we accept yearly, uh, without even necessarily thinking much about it, um, thousands of deaths from flu. I mean, you know, you could actually say, well, if one thing that would be possible to come out of this is we should treat that far more seriously. Yeah, yeah I think it's, it's, what is it, 17,000 deaths a year just from conflict. That's an average, right? And I know yeah. people say that the you know, uh, uh, coronavirus isn't flu and whatever, uh, fair enough. Um, but yes, we have that much. And then I think a few years ago, and please, I, 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 I don't know the figures straight off, but um, there was a, a particularly bad year actually a lot more than people so you could actually say well surely we should take that sort of thing much more seriously you know as it were going into the future i mean that that might be one positive aspect of it yeah i think um i mean that uh, the, the figures that are brought out every day are quite interesting because um you know in camus great novel the plague he makes the point that early on, when the plague is hitting the town of Oran, the public authorities mention the numbers who've died every day. But they don't know what these figures mean, because even though they might ought to know, maybe, um, they don't obviously know the average death rate per week. You know, we've, we've heard that uh, two, two weeks ago now, the, there was a spike in the overall death rate. But generally, from uh, January through February and most of March, the weekly death rate was below average rather than above average. So we get um, numbers, you know, suddenly we're, we're, we're 700 deaths a day. It seems a big number. Is it really? You know, I mean, if if the average death rate per week is is you know a, 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 on a, a a scale that is uh, not abnormal, then um, w we don't know really what we're looking at. So, you know, like looking at the mortality rates for um, last year, which was a, a higher year than the norm it was something like 624,000 deaths per annum. It goes back to the um, question of proportionality again, because yes, right. Camus actually mentions exactly, say that Camus' um, account of the beginnings, the beginnings of the plague in his book sounds very much like listening to James O'Brien on LBC every day, yeah. where he's talking about not knowing the difference between um, people who die with the plague and people who die of the plague yeah. and because there were all of these unknown factor, um, mm. factors the question of proportionality is just like we're sort of stumbling around in the dark because everything mm. is so movable 
And actually, we will never know, Peter, just very quickly, we will never know what's true anyway, because, or what's right anyway, because we don't know how many deaths have, have been prevented by the lockdown. It could be a lot. It could be none. It could be that the lockdown ends up killing more people than the absence of a lockdown would have done. But that is something we will never actually know. Well, how do I feel about this? Which may explain why I'm quite positive because I've been really enjoying, you know, I, as I was saying to you before we started, I exercise every day, spend more time with my wife. I've quit smoking. I mean, the really coronavirus quit. has been terrific really? for my health. Did you really quit smoking? I, I quit I, smoking. I have to say, Constantine, sorry, I have to come in here. Uh, Rod Little wrote a great piece about this in, in the Spectator last week. Mm -hmm. It has actually come into light, it's coming to light that smokers actually have kind of got some strange yes yes so, i saw that i'm gonna have to start again <laughs> i'm gonna have to start again um just quickly going back to the so on constantine's point um going back to the uh, toby young article that question of i think he refers to the, he's talking about the the cure being worse than the disease and he talks about invisible deaths mm. i think to, just going back to what Constantine was saying about the psychology of it, I think that to some degree there is an aspect of the threat of immediate deaths because although we can talk about, you know, the average age that people die in the UK is 81 and the average age of the people who die of a disease is something like 79.5. And these are just, you know, numbers and it's calculus for people's lives. But when you're faced with the immediate threat to someone that you love, even if they're over 60, over, you know, it doesn't matter how old they are if, if they're a person that is important to you. I think that there, there's definitely, there's got to be something in the, the difference between that immediate threat versus the hypothetical of those, in what Toby Young calls the invisible deaths of people that will be affected by, even if it's you who will be affected by this, you know, your pension or your, your ability to buy a house, um, whether, you know, you're going to be out of work. I think that, that there's got to be something in, in the, um, the, the psychological threat that you feel uh. from someone who, who may immediately die versus an unknown person who could at some point die in the future as, as a result of the economic collapse. Peter? Well, I'm oh, sorry, David. I'm, 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 sorry, David. Carry on, David. Well, I think it comes back to um, the point Peter made a bit earlier about um, the, the way in which everything is presented in very emotional and almost maudlin terms. You know, um, the the tendency to um, you know put people who couldn't attend funerals on the six o'clock or 10 o'clock news and feel their pain um, seems like we, we can't uh, present the, um, uh, the problem in, in a kind of dispassionate manner. I mean, uh, you know, watching Hugh Edwards last night, he seemed to be, you know, I, I expected to come in to come on dressed in a black suit looking like um, and increasingly re resembles the figure of death in the seventh seal with a slightly better haircut you know um, so I think this sort of emotional way in which the media is treating this um, doesn't help the general mood of, um, of worry when in fact you know um, the death rate is is not, or well, the mortality rate, is is not something that's um, uh, 
on the level of uh, 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 you know uh, 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 something like the Spanish flu, which is the most sort of you know comparable thing recently, and certainly not on the level of um, other flu outbreaks in the fifties and sixties. There was a there was a huge one, was there not, in nineteen sixty seven sixty eight. I think, I think earlier, was it 58, 59? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Huge. Yeah. But again, we don't know how many of those deaths would have been prevented with modern medicine of the type that we have now. Again, these are things that are very, very difficult to measure, I think. And, uh, but, you know, it's hard. I mean, I agree with David that a more dispassionate look at this sort of thing would be useful, no matter it's useful for any situation. But it comes back to your point, Emma, about human irrationality we're not able to factor in long-term consequences in the same way that we factor in short term you, you know most people will run away and jump off a cliff just to get away from an angry dog if if that's the situation they're put in you know so mm -hmm. our ability to project that kind of stuff uh, is, is limited uh, particularly when as david says the media on, on the, about 10 different levels i'm not sure how the media are going to recover from this because you watch those daily press conferences and it's i mean it's shocking the, they seem to have become worse with this pandemic, not better. I'm, I wasn't mm. sure that journalists could, could do any worse than they already were doing. But the, the type of questions they're asking and trying to catch politicians out on some minutia of some promise they made three weeks ago, yeah. it's just nonsense. And, and the country is watching this, I think, in, in growing horror. I think there's, a, there's a definite sense that the questions that they ask are for their own vanity rather than... Mm. Mm. Um, rather than because they've given any thought to what the right question might be. Mm. Yes, it's all, it's very much about ego. And I think it's also sort of like, how do I look in front of my friends in the media? Yeah. Mm. And there's nothing more disgusting for people to be doing at a time when a lot of people are fearful and people are dying and people are concerned. And I just, I just don't understand how they don't see it. I mean, the bubble, <laughs> we're all in a bubble of our own, of one now sitting at home, but they seem to have retreated further into it and not, 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 not seeing what's happening in the rest of the country. Mm. Do you think that, uh, so one of the suggestions, I loathed to ask you or if you uh, agree with Keir Starmer that we should recall Parliament so that there can be more um, adequate scrutiny of the, of the, of the current legislation and, and what's going on exactly with the lockdown. Um, because there have been some suggestions of, of Francis Hoare, I mentioned before we started, um, recording has written some really great pieces in the in the Telegraph about the um, civil liberties issue and the lockdown. Um, and he um, recently wrote about a particular case of this woman who had been um, she'd been found loitering on the concourse or something of, uh, of the railway station in Newcastle um, and ended mm. up being um, convicted of uh, under section 12 of the coronavirus act and then the CPS withdrew the conviction um, and he was raising some concerns that there may also be instances of sort of a miscarriage of justice where even in within the courts people are being convicted of things when there's no real understanding or clarity of exactly what um, what people are being arrested for what they're being convicted for and this is one case that was um, was made big in the media and, and a QC took it on and exposed it and had the CPS withdraw the conviction. 
uh, but we don't actually know what other cases there may be out there and presumably after this is all blown over a lot of these cases will come out of the woodwork do you have any views on you know should we be recalling parliament what should we be doing to try um to ensure that the proper scrutiny is um is happening well i would say that i mean just simply just uh, very briefly that isn't that what journalists are actually meant to do in a way i mean you know they're really meant to take cases like that up they're you know they're meant to question they're meant to do all of that kind of thing um as for parliament um you know I, what difference would that make actually i mean i, I i'm not being trivial here I, I just think it's sort of like a very peripheral question uh. I, I think it's a very peripheral question at the moment um as it's not just because it's Labour asking for it, they have sort of got to do that. And Keir Starmer is sort of duty bound to ask for that kind of thing. I mean, he's the new Labour Party and everything. He's got to. Otherwise, people say, well, what are you for? You know? Um, but I think I don't really know that people are, I don't think there's a clamour for this. I think possibly around Westminster, what, you know, maybe that they feel that's important. Is there a clamour? I think <laughs> it's a sort of a feeling that if anything, uh, these are the non-essential workers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I'm not so sure. I mean, I think, um, uh, you know, obviously there's not a great clamour to have Parliament sitting at the moment, but it does seem rather strange that we've rushed through an Emergency Powers Act that has, you know, very uh, authoritarian implications and that, um, I think the number of statutory acts that have been put through in the last couple of months is, um, you know, very significant. And, and the that lack of... Parliament was still sitting, though. Was that? Okay, well, it does seem to be a bit... I, I, I'm a bit concerned that we don't have Parliament sitting, actually. E even a Zoom Parliament might be... Uh, Better than at all. I hate to make a trivial point, but I couldn't help noticing that as David started to talk about the emergency powers, the, the room suddenly got a lot darker. And the, <laughs> did, did you guys notice that? <laughs> and it started to look very devious indeed after. But actually, I think, Emma, you make a very good point, which is whenever there's any kind of crisis or emergency situation that captures the public's attention, whether that was 9-11, whether that was the riots in London, whether that was anything else, the government always is tempted to have some kind of knee-jerk reaction. The the politicians, uh, like the police, like the criminal justice system, you know, we saw with the riots people being punished very, very heavily. I'm not saying they shouldn't have been punished, but there was there was an attempt to make an example of people that maybe went too far on some occasions. Obviously, 9-11, all sorts of laws were introduced, particularly in America, but also here, that massively curtailed people's civil liberties uh, and infringed on our right to privacy and, and things like that. So there will be some cases, I'm afraid, out of this inevitably, where we do find that there's been a knee-jerk reaction that people have overreacted. And you see, uh, as we, we talked about earlier in the conversation with the police, you know, they are overreacting in some instances peter was talking about an example of his his friend who who was subject to that so i do think we'll see that but i think peter's absolutely right no one cares if parliament is sitting or not i don't think and if anything is we've learned is that it's not particularly essential and I'm, as a final point i would say the irony of, of the labor party asking for a clear exit strategy uh, after <laughs> 
three years of whatever the, whatever it was they were doing about Brexit. I mean, we would be having a seventh referendum by now if it was up to them. So uh, I think they just need to keep quiet. And, and it must be very hard being here somewhere right now. How do you how do you be relevant right now? How do you claw uh, back relevance? No, I, it's just, I just don't see how it's going to happen. Do you um, have any views on the... So we were talking earlier about um, our cultural approach to policing um, and the very distinctive English approach to um, law and order and so on. Um, Lord, uh, Lord Sumption referred to um, what was going on with the police as them being like glorified prefects. Mm. And there obviously there's a sense that um, people are being turned into snitches uh, with all of these online platforms for people being able to record their neighbours for, for going out and breaking the lockdown and so on. Um, do you think that this is going to have any long-term uh, consequences, either from the perspective of um, some of the temporary powers not being as temporary as mm. we might like, or um, whether the, you know, the culture around some of these things will perhaps change? I know they add, I think it was the Adam Smith Institute um, did a, an event asking whether or not we'll all be libertarians when this is over. Mm. Um, so my question to you is, do you think that um, there's going to be a change in, in the culture, but also um, potentially some of the, the, um, the laws hanging around longer than is desirable? Peter? <laughs> oh, um, that's a very big question. I mean, I think some things, I mean, there's a, quite an industry at the moment in people saying what is actually going to change. Uh, what is not ever never going to be the same again and I, I remember this after 9-11 which uh, to me was the kind of defining event actually at least in the past 20 years this century anyway um, things actually came back pretty much the same I mean I remember then you know people talking about the kind of culture of narcissism and celebrity and that we'd all become much more serious and that this would go away and it was then preceded by an intensification of uh, celebritum and uh, narcissism, which, uh, which is what we live with, live with now. I think, um, I don't mean to, to make, um, make light of the point. I mean, I, I think with the, with the, with the police, um, I think, you know, I'm, I'm on the police and crime committee in the city hall. Um, I would say that um, a point that I think Constantine made earlier, a very good point, the presence of the police around. I mean, this is not in a good way, right? But they have been around. I mean, you know, where I live in Woolwich, you don't see police, I say this all the time in the assembly, you don't see them from one week's end to the next. Um, the point about our policing was, as, as David said, citizens in uniform, but they kind of were from the bottom up, as opposed to in Europe where they've been top down. They've kind of come from the regimes down. Hence, people have that sort of attitude. I think the attitude to the police in recent years, though, in Britain has changed anyway. Uh. And I think one of the reasons for that is that they appear to have changed priorities whereby they are now almost social enforcers. You know, I mean, I don't want to go off and digress, but we've got the whole thing that all of us will be discussing if it were not for the virus now, which is hate speech and free speech mm -hmm. and all of these things, hate crime, hate crime hubs, all of these things. That is what we would be talking about on an evening like this, right? Unless it's, and if it hadn't been for crime. 
And the police have been at the forefront of that, actually. Absolutely. And yeah, yeah where, where they actually have not been at the forefront of, I mean, you know, do you know what I found extraordinary? Uh, at the very beginning of this thing, three weeks ago, uh, the police put out a video saying, have you been the victim of a coronavirus-related hate crime? <laughs> you see this, it went out? Yeah. It was this kind of automaton standing there talking about this. I mean, this, was, this got a lot of traction, actually. It's not just... Um, and I think someone made the point at the time, is when was the last time you saw a policeman with, doing a video saying, have you been the victim of a burglary? Mm. Or have you been the victim of a, you know, whatever, mugging, whatever it might be, knife crime? Um, you don't see that. There was this overemphasis on civil enforcement, right? And I think that therefore, what's happened with the police during this particular terrible time is sort of, of a, slightly of a piece with that. You know, it's, it's sort of like, come on now, you're not meant to be here, you're not meant to be there, you can't see mm -hmm. it. Do you see what I mean? It's a kind of yeah. strain which is there's a, a there's a jumped up librarian vibe about uh, the way that they've handled it. It is, but the, you see, I think I I I I don't like the whole this whole drift of the way the police have been, have been uh. going anyway. You know, I mean, uh, you know that they are entirely reactive. You know, the idea that they would be there so that you know little Johnny can go up to the police and say, or you know. I think he's going to take my, I think he's going to call trouble. And then the policeman would come along. I mean, I don't mean to be too Dixon of Doc Green about this, but the point was the police were around as a preventative force. Like mm. Now they are there entirely as a reactive force. And that was a cultural change that happened. Mm. I don't see that going back at all. People always talk about Bobby's on the beat. Um, and it, everyone does. And, and it, left or right, you know, because how can you not think it's a good thing? But in fact, it never happens. It just never happens because there was a cultural change that happened. All we're seeing now is we are seeing them on the beat, but in this terrible way. Or should I say not all of them? Because, you know, great police. I mean, I'm not anti-police, anti but you have got a sort of accumulating now where basically they have well and truly gone over the mark. And I think this is very worrying. With this, so there are, there are police officers to be on the street. I mean, the problem that we're talking about here is the fact that essentially most people's experience of the police now is not a personal interaction, but what you read about them in the newspaper. So, mm -hmm. uh, and that's a problem because what you read about in the newspaper is by its very nature, outrageous, ridiculous, one-off, unusual, etc. cetera. Uh, whereas, as I say, as you say, I think as we, uh, most people would have, Knowledge, the vast majority distinct from police the chief right, constables right, right, right. right they are very hard-working decent people who are trying to do the right we have enough of them to be on the street right <laughs> so let's get them back on the street where people can see them where that preventative effect can happen and then people's experience of the police will be direct personal interaction which may then change our perception of the police uh, as a whole because we won't be seeing quite so many stories uh, about them you know arresting people for a tweet and w w all this other nonsense that we've seen over the last many years that you I and many others have been talking about this whole time uh, I I think it's an opportunity and I do hope the police take it so I hope you, your pessimism is unwarranted in this occasion Peter David, do you think that we, um, that just on both Peter and Constantine's point, do you think that we are still 
you mentioned earlier the line in the unicorn by Orwell do you think that we we still have the same character that Orwell identified in us with respect um, to these things well I, I, I'm, I'm quite concerned about the um, uh, well with Peter and and Constantine that um, you know there there is a, a sort of an ideology that the not the the Bobby on the beat, but the um, the you know the chief constables seem to be um, you know committed to uh, a, a sort of uh, enforcement of a a way of thinking in a way that um, does not fit easily with the uh, you know the the way in which we understood the police to behave um, that you know that they are potentially enforcers of uh, hate crime legislation and um, pre-crime thinking um, on the part of people who sweep things that are deemed um, ideologically unacceptable. And I don't think it's just the police, you know, there's a wider bureaucracy that is also, um, you know, looking to um, police our, um, you know, not just our behaviours, but our thought patterns. And um, you know, the way in which, um, uh, you know, the access to uh, uh, data now uh, as the result of our, you know, social media and AI environment means that, you know, the, um, you know, that one of the, the vehicles that might get us out of lockdown is a tracking app that, you know, can be applied to whoever you know, we're under a, a kind of a regime or we, we just walk into a regime where we are potentially, you know, under surveillance all the time. Now, you know, some aspects of knowing what, um, you know, is going on in society is probably a good thing. On the other hand, you know, we know what the Chinese system, system that maps everybody's behaviours. Um, uh, we w I would like to think that um, there would be resistance to that, that we have a sort of sense of a, uh, you know, negative liberty that still holds strong. But I think it's been severely eroded over the last decade or so. And, um, you know, the recent emergency powers uh, under the Coronavirus Act doesn't sort of give me a huge amount of hope going forward, really.